Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing our uh, school year. It's actually not quite school year long series. We'll be done by Easter uh, in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters in Ephesians talk to us about theology. What should we believe? Uh, The last three chapters talk to us about how do you apply that theology? How do you live that out? And this morning in chapter 5, we're going to be looking at that uh, one aspect of that application again. I've had to make a couple of hard choices about what to cover and what not to cover with our snow and ice outs that we've had in uh, in January and February. So last week we did verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, and now I'm skipping down to verse 15. Uh, because we just we don't quite have enough Sundays now to, to get everything done, and so trying to kind of hit the hit the high points as we go through. Uh, but this morning we're going to be looking at chapter five, uh, verses fifteen through twenty one. So I I love watching movies. I enjoy uh, stories, and uh, and I and I've watched a lot of bad movies in order to get to some good movies as well. You got to be willing to suffer through. You ever been in a movie and you go, you know, it's in five minutes, it's going to start getting better. It's, it's, it's just going to get better. I, I haven't, well, I don't think I've walked out of two movies in my entire life and I've seen some really rotten ones. So I'm going to quote from a movie this morning in the introduction. And it's one of those movies where it had some good moments, but it wasn't really all that great. So I'm not suggesting that you go home and watch it uh, this afternoon or this evening. It's a 1990 movie, starred Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall. It was a movie called Days of Thunder. And Tom Cruise played a young race car driver that was, he was kind of in the B League and he was trying to move up to NASCAR. He's trying to be a a top of the lines, uh, stock car uh, race racing driver, and he shows up at the, the track at Daytona, the, where they run the Daytona 500, and they've figured out a way to let one of the racing teams, the, let uh, this character drive a few laps around the track to prove that he's good enough to be a NASCAR driver. So Tom Cruise, who plays a guy named Cole Trickle, how's that for a NASCAR driver? He shows up, and the, the guy who owns the car is a guy named Rowdy Yates. They, they did their homework. They came up with some, some good names, and, and Cole Trickle's trying to convince The guy who's managing the whole thing, a guy named Harry, is trying to convince him that he has enough expertise to drive this race car. And here's a dialogue between these two. Harry says to him, well, what do you know about stock car racing? And Cole replies, well, I've watched it on television, of course. And Harry says, you've seen it on television? Cole responds, yeah, ESPN, the coverage is excellent. You'd be surprised how much you can pick up. And Harry says, I'm sure I would. Now, you're asking a guy to give you his $300,000 race car uh, in order to take a few laps around the track because you've seen it on ESPN. Now, obviously, Cole Trickle's character had driven race cars before. He was just trying to, you know, kind of cut through the, the tension of the moment. But a lot of us approach our faith in that way. We claim that it's very, very important to us. We, we claim that being a disciple of Jesus is one of the, the key elements of our lives. And yet, if we actually did some honest, close self-evaluation, what we might find is perhaps a little closer to the truth is, I see it on TV every once in a while. I, I, I have enough of a, of a passing uh, experience with it that I can kind of hold my own. But are we really growing in our faith? Are we really deepening in our faith to the extent that not only that we as individual disciples are growing in Christ, but that that growth is actually impacting our spiritual family in a positive way? I think that's the challenge that this passage puts before us this morning. 
So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, hear the word of God. Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. We ask that your word would be powerful in our hearts and our minds uh, for uh, this next little bit. Father, as we come together, we come from a variety of different backgrounds and circumstances. Uh, Some of us have have, uh, had a hard week. Others would say we've had a pretty good week. Probably everybody here is tired of the winter and ready for some warmer weather and longer days. Father, some of us had great weeks financially and others not so much. Uh, some of us had great classroom experiences and, and had a good week at school and others of us, it was really difficult and hard. We thank you, Father, that you know every person in this room down to the very hairs of our head. But Father, we pray that that knowledge and your word would be transformative in our lives. Father, give us ears to hear. Uh, help us, Lord, with our tendency to be a bit defensive Uh, to think about how there are other folks that should hear this message. Lord, apply it to, to, to my heart, apply it to our hearts, that we would know more of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. And as we deepen in that faith, it would benefit not only us, but it would benefit our, our spiritual family here at Green Tree Community Church and, and in the St. Louis area where we interact with friends and neighbors and family on a regular basis. Father, you know I don't have the words uh, to say that will um, make this message meaningful. It is only your eternal word that penetrates and transforms our hearts. So we pray for that. Lord, forgive my sin. Don't let me be an obstacle of your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Discipleship takes prayerful thought and conscious choices. I think that's what Paul is after, part of what he's after. I think there's a lot more of that in this passage this morning. But the notion that this isn't just something that we kind of pass by occasionally and think about every once in a while, uh, and that we, you know, we try to fit the world, uh, or we try to fit our faith kind of into our schedule in the world, but, but that we actually take a, 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 an approach to discipleship that is thoughtfully uh, concerned. It, it, it's prayerful in the way we approach. It's the choices I make are actually conscious choices that I want to deepen my relationship with God. And I believe Paul gives us that message kind of in the overarching umbrella in the first two words where he says, look carefully. In other words, what Paul is saying is pay attention. Uh, heads up, there's something important here you ought not miss. Look carefully then how you walk. And I've, and I've gotten this picture on the screen of someone who's texting and driving because I remember years ago when you were able to text and drive. I said in last service when we were first able to do that, but I'm pretty sure I've never been the first at anything when it comes to technology. I'm pretty sure that people have been texting for like two years before I even knew what it was. But when, I, when we first started texting, 
and driving at the same time. I remember people kind of threw up their arms and said, there ought to be a law that says you can't text and you can't drive at the same time. And I remember kind of getting my, my back up a little bit as an independent American, you know, USA fellow. who's was like, nobody can tell me what to do. This is a free country. And I got to, you know, that, that bothers me that you would tell me that I can't drive and text at the same time. And then life started happening and the data started flowing in. And I realized what a foolish, foolish statement that was. And I'm being polite to myself by using the term foolish. That was crazy to think that while you're operating an automobile, sometimes at high speeds, with other folks around you who are operating vehicles and other people who are pedestrians or walking down the street, all of whom hope you don't run into them with your car, it's crazy to think you should text and drive at the same time. Pay attention. Pick the more important thing. Drive. Don't text and so I've tried to, to, to kind of discipline my life that way. And what Paul is saying here is got to pay attention. Heads up. There's something important here that maybe we're missing, and we need to backtrack a little bit and, and pay closer attention. So Paul says, look carefully. I'm going to give you four uh, observations on how we can look carefully this morning. The first, I believe, is Paul is calling us to a realistic self-evaluation. Look at verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And we mentioned this last week that when Paul uses this language of walk, last week the, the passage we looked at said, be imitators of God uh, as dearly loved children and walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So the notion there of walk is lifestyle. It's how you go to the grocery store. It's how I'm, we're raising our kids or how as a child I'm growing up and going to school. It's, it's the sports we play in. It's the things we watch on TV. It's the businesses that we run and the occupations we have. When Paul's talking about, about walking, he's just talking about how you do life. What Paul says, if we're going to be serious about discipleship, we have to be willing to do some self-examination about the way in which we're living our lives. He goes on to tell us that if we do some self-examination, then probably what we'll find out is that we don't want to be unwise, but we want to be wise. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I don't know anybody that kind of raises their hand and says, I really hope I'm the biggest fool in the group. I really hope I make the dumbest decisions of everybody that makes all the decisions in the world. I want to be the, the worst decision maker ever. I think everybody wants to have some amount of wisdom. Well, at his most fundamental uh, description, wisdom is simply knowledge applied. It means I, I take what I know and I put it into practice. So I know that eating a lot of sugars and sweets is probably going to relate into a notion of gaining more weight and being unhealthy. I'm going to maybe say I'm not going to do that anymore because I know that. Therefore, I want a different outcome. And it's simply applying knowledge that I have. Some of you have the experience or know that I have the experience of helping church planters around the country kind of get started with a new church. And church planters can be some of the most dangerous people you've ever met in your life because they're full of ideas. They have so many ideas that they think are great. Unfortunately, they're about the only ones who think they're really great. They, they come up with ideas that really you kind of look at it and go, I, I don't believe I'd try that out. And, and this is a, a true story, and it's, it's many stories. I've had several church planters over the years that have said to me, you know, we've been looking around and we realize that nobody does church on Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. 
And so we're going to have a church service Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock because nobody's in church. They'll all come to our church and they'll participate in our church. And, you know, you just want to smile and, and be kind and polite. But, you know, inside you're going, you know, alarm bells are going off. There's a reason why in our particular culture people don't go to church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're not going to change it for you. Maybe that isn't the best idea. Maybe you, you're not applying knowledge there. But that, that goes to every area of your life and my life. Am I willing to look at the lifestyle that I've chosen, the way in which I'm living, in the light of the gospel? And am I seeking to have that wisdom flow into my everyday life? Paul says that's a realistic evaluation. And he also reminds us that the context in which we make this evaluation, making the best use of the times because the days are evil. Evil simply means I'm in opposition to God. So, for example, in both the Old Testament, and Jesus affirms it in the New Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. So when I love my neighbor, I'm, I'm walking in lockstep with God. When I hate my neighbor, either by action or by, or by thought, I'm in opposition to God. That, that makes a pretty simple sense. What Paul is saying is, that's our surroundings, Generally speaking, our surroundings are filled with evil. We have a lot of thoughts and a lot of actions and a lot of activity in our culture today that are going in direct opposition of God. And you don't live in a vacuum. You don't live by yourself in a deserted island. You're living in community with people that are believers and folks that aren't believers. And so you need to be aware of your circumstances. Paul says, have a realistic evaluation so that it's not the notion of, well, I'll try to fit my faith into my busy schedule or my world, but rather I need to see that my choices, the way that, that I apply the word of God, the way in which I live in a broken world actually is, is living through faith, is actually living through trusting God. Are we willing this morning to do a realistic self-evaluation? Secondly, Paul says, and beyond that, he calls us to a knowledge, to a deeper knowledge, to an understanding of God's word. In verse 17, Paul says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Probably hands down, the question that I've gotten over the years as a pastor, more than any other question, is a question of, you know, Pastor, can you help me figure out what God's will is for my life? And I always have the same answer. Absolutely, I already know God's will is that you give more to Green Tree Community Church. Now, after they have that nervous laugh that you like, he can't quite be serious, is he? I say, I'm just kidding. Let, let's tell me what you're really after. And typically what folks are saying is, well, I've had a new job offer and I don't know if I should take it. I'm dating someone pretty seriously and, I, and I'm not sure if that's the Lord's uh, will that I should marry this person or that person. And they tend to be activity related and, and kind of uh, behavioral related. And what I think scripture tells us, because there isn't a scripture verse that says, I'm trying to decide to send my child to a private school or a public school. Where's the verse that says thou shalt go to public school or thou shalt go to private school? We're not going to find those types of answers in, in the Bible, but what we will find is God's truth in abundance that's applied to every decision we make. And so I, I would suggest what Paul is saying here is to know God's word is to know God's will. Not should you move to this city or to that city. I believe those uh, all, uh, it's not that they're inconsequential, but they're at, a, they're at a lower level. The more the more pragmatic and biblical question is, why would God take me to that city and what might be my role if, if that were the case? It's a new business. It's a new opportunity. I'm going to school there. But the word of God informs us on, on a million different topics. If I do want to know about how to be godly with my money, it's all throughout Scripture. 
If I want to really understand what it means to have a godly marriage, I can go to the Bible and find that out, how I approach work, study, human sexuality, parenting, a a whole host of of understanding God's will, those topics. It's, It's all over Scripture. I'll give you one practical example out of, out of our life as a family. For Cindy and I, when our kids were young and growing up, like everybody else, uh, our, most other folks, our kids loved to have a variety of different activities in their life. And sometimes it was sports and sometimes it was clubs, a lot of different things. And, and I know it's maybe even ramped up a little bit in this day, but even when we were raising our kids, it was really busy. And it was really hard to kind of, when are we going to, you know, fit everything in? And especially in kind of recreational sports world, Sunday's just become another day where you can just play sports. And, you know, you, know, you just go all day long. And so we had to wrestle with this question, where's our, where's our, our frame there to make this decision? Do we just, if, if we have a conflict, do we say, go, go play sports and don't worry about church? Or if we have a conflict, do we say, no, you must go to church and you can't play sports? So we went to the Bible. We went to the Word of God. And, and, and we thought about it and prayerfully talked about it together. And we came to the conclusion that God's word says we were created for worship. We we're created to be in community with God's people. We we're created to, to come together. And, and one of the ways we do that is on Sunday morning. So we're not going to just ignore that. We're not going to say, well, we, you know, we'll make it up next Sunday or the Sunday after. What we said is that's going to be a priority in our lives for ourselves and for our children. But we also read in the Bible where Paul says, don't exasperate your children. Don't wear them out. Don't, don't be harsh with them. So you have, a, you, know, you have a 12-year-old that just can't wait to get to the rink and play hockey. The, the way to handle that is not to be mean-spirited with them about coming to church. And so where we ended up, we said, we're going to be in church on a regular basis every week. And if there's an early morning game that we can get to, or it's later on in the morning, you can get to the early service. But we're going to worship first, and then if we can build into that, we're going to do it. And there were very few Sundays where it didn't kind of all play together and work out. Now, I'm not saying that's the right way or the wrong way. What I'm saying is we use Scripture to come to that conclusion. That's what we were after. If we don't know the Word, how can we possibly know how to think about these things? So Paul says as we do this realistic evaluation, we need to do it in the context of knowing Scripture. So he says, you know, don't be foolish, right? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I've got to study the Word to understand that. Thirdly, Paul says, not only realistic evaluation, intentional study of God's word, but he calls for sobriety under the Spirit's control. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that might seem as a bit odd coming in the middle of this conversation. What Paul is not arguing for there, he didn't just kind of switch gears and say, okay, now I'm going to tell everybody to be a teetotaler and never touch alcohol. That, that's not what Paul is saying there. You can go to 2 Timothy where Paul says to Timothy, you seem to be a little, little tense because your stomach's upset. Uh, have a little wine. Uh, so Paul is not arguing that you never touch a drop of alcohol. That's not his point. His point is this. He's asking the question, who's in control? Who's actually in control of your life? Because if you're in control of your life, you're going to hit moments where you are severely hurt or severely disappointed or you're lacking in the ability to make good decisions and you're going to become afraid and you're going to become nervous or maybe you just don't have some some disciplines in your life that you ought to and you're going to be tempted to let alcohol be the thing that solves that problem for you. The problem is it's not going to solve it. It's only going to make it worse. That's the word debauchery. It means it's just going to go from bad to worse. So there's no use to try to make that be the magic pill that's going to fix your life. But Paul is saying, if the Spirit is in control, 
If the Spirit is leading you, then you face life in the confidence of the Holy Spirit of God, and you're not just trying to relieve your pain, you're actually seeking to live life to its fullest. And in this particular verse, Paul, when he says, to, you know, don't get drunk with wine, he's using language that's talking to the entire church. He's not singling out one individual person. It's this notion, we've used this before, everybody, all y'all, all the time in every way, don't turn to this outlet to think it's going to fix your problems, but rather trust in the Spirit of God. Well, what does it look like to do that? Well, let me give you a negative and let me give you a positive. In Proverbs, well, first of all, I talk about Proverbs. That's actually a poster I found this week. And and I I was a little, I I don't get shocked that often, but that was a little shocking to me that I saw this poster that said, stay drunk, stay foolish. You can go home and say, the pastor says, stay drunk and stay foolish. Make sure you add the other things that I've said this morning, because I'm not suggesting that. Because Solomon says something radically different, as does the rest of Scripture. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And so Paul picks up on that truth. He says that's a, it's a terrible road to go down. It's a road of self-destruction, and it, and it will probably hurt the people around you pretty terribly. So let's not go that way. But then go to Galatians chapter 5, where Paul speaks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. So the more that I say to the Lord, Lord, control my life. Lord, take over. Be my Lord in the truest sense of the word. That's what your word says. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm asking for. And the Spirit of God shows up in my life. What are things that begin to become evident in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. You're not breaking the law when those things happen. Those are bringing you an abundant life. So as I submit to the Spirit of God, as, as I am under his control more and more. The moments when I tended to hate before, I begin to love. The moments before where, where I used to be filled with harshness and, and perhaps anger, I am, I'm gentle and I'm kind and I'm actually willing to listen to the other person instead of insisting on my way. And, and God is transforming my life. That's why Paul wants us to be under the Spirit's control and not under the control of of any substance or under the control of our own decision-making process, void of God's Word. He wants us to be under the control of the Spirit. That's how we pay attention to our faith. And the fourth way we pay attention is this leads to authentic relationships. They flow out of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What Paul is talking about here is authentic relationships with one another. Look look at that first phrase, addressing one another. He's assuming that we're in community together. He's assuming that we are, this walk that we're on, this, this life that we're living, that we're doing it in community with one another. So he wants to set some parameters for those relationships. But his assumption is that we're together. His assumption is that what, what comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word is a mutual care and concern for one another. He's not saying to us, you can only speak in psalms or hymns or spiritual psalms. I'm pretty sure if the Apostle Paul heard me sing, he would say, Tom, why don't you speak those words and, and not necessarily sing them? I don't have a great singing voice. But, but those words all point to care for one another. 
When, when I think about what's in the Psalms and I think about uh, how to care for you and how to love you, there are a lot of great words that come to mind. When I think about some of the hymns we sing together, some of the spiritual songs that we sing together, I think about the truth that is found in those songs and how those lift us up and how those build us up. So do I have a, a tone of wanting to care for you as we're in relationship with one another? He goes on to say, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Again, I, I don't think he's saying that we just walk around singing all the time, but I think he's talking about a tone that's in our lives, and it's a joyful tone. Now, joyful doesn't mean happy and giddy all the time. You can be in, in a situation where you are uh, struggling with, with grief, the loss of a loved one, something that's difficult that's happened, and there can be a sense of peaceful joy in your life because the Spirit is in control. It doesn't mean it's easy, it doesn't mean it's simple, but it does mean that God is caring for you as you follow him. And I want this tone to be in my heart, making melody to the Lord with my heart. My focus is on him. My heart is thankful for what Christ has done for me on the cross. And, and it puts a song in my heart that I want to sing, whether it's a song of sadness and, and, and a song of, of, of mourning, the, the effects of sin and brokenness in this world in the context of Scripture, or whether it's a song of great joy because I see the triumph that is mine in Christ. But if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, it needs to be under that tone of a joyful spirit, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Look at that verse carefully. How hard it is sometimes to give thanks in everything. How difficult it can be when I look at the circumstances of my life sometimes to give thanks, and yet that's what God calls me to. Well, when it's hard for me, guess what, brothers and sisters? I need your help. I need to be in relationship with you. I need you to put your arm around me and say, man, it's tough right now, but we can trust God. We can give thanks to God because we know he's going to get us home okay. We, we know that we can trust in him. So the, the, the tone of my life is a, is a tone of thankfulness that God has made you part of his message of grace to me and that he's making me part of his message of grace to you. My thankfulness can strengthen you and your, strength, your thankfulness can strengthen me, leading us to this last idea in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where everybody goes, whoa, submit. That, that's not a word we like in America. Uh, I, I don't want to submit to anybody. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm kind of back to the texting in the car. I might decide that for myself, but I, I don't want to submit to someone else. Well, what you're asking really there, what you're saying there, is I don't trust other people. I don't trust that the other person really has what's best for me in mind. How could I possibly trust someone else? I've been burned by other people before. And again, that's why it's so crucial that we're, we're in this relationship together as we follow the Lord Jesus. Because my submitting to Christ includes submitting to the people that he's put in my life who come to me in love and in care, sometimes applauding me, sometimes patting me on the back and say, way to go, you did great. And sometimes saying, Tom, you're a little loose in the turn there. We need to talk about that. You know, Tom, that tone of voice you use, it isn't all that life-giving to the people around you. Tom, you, you seem to be too busy and you're not slowing down enough to really see what's going on around you and care for people. I need those kinds of corrective moments. You need those kind of corrective moments. And the only way those happen is if we really are looking out for each other and we want the best for each other. That's why you got to look at this whole thing together as we address one another in psalms and hymns. 
as God creates a melody in our heart and, and a thankfulness of spirit, it allows us to really care for one another well. And that's ultimately what Paul is after here. Submitting to each other is honoring Christ by trusting the people he's put in our lives. And John Stott very wisely offers this warning in this particular section of these verses. Sometimes a person who claims to be filled with the Spirit becomes aggressive, self-assertive, and brash. But the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. And those who are truly filled with him always display the meekness, and the gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics that they submit to one another. Brothers and sisters, we, we're in this together. That's so much of what the second half of Ephesians is about. We are in Christ, but we're in community with one another. So how do we do this uh, honest paying attention of our souls uh, this week? How do we think about it in terms of being prayerful and thoughtful and making conscious choices as we follow Christ together under his lordship? Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this as we begin to wrap up. The first thing I think I have to ask myself is, am I committed to studying the word of God? And I don't mean just kind of glancing at it occasionally. I mean looking at it and studying it uh, carefully. I actually was convicted about this this week. I, I got the Thursday morning. I realized how little I had read my Bible this week. And I'm like, I feel spiritually hungry right now. I feel like I'm kind of I'm on, on empty. And it's my own fault because I haven't sat at the Lord's feet and just opened my Bible and read it. But I also know that there's a collective study that needs to happen. I need to be uh, studying the Word of God in community with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I can learn from them as they're learning for Christ. We're sitting and I are in a Bible study on Sunday night, and last Sunday night we were studying Revelation chapter 6. I would, I would encourage you to go look at Revelation chapter 6 and try and figure it out. It, you can, but it, it, it takes some digging. But I got our group together, and we got a whole bunch of props. We had some coloring books. We had some knives. We had some incense. We had all kinds of... All the stuff that's mentioned in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. And, we, and I've got, we broke it into two groups. Said, okay, you, you take these props. You take these props. Take 20 minutes. Go figure out how to teach Revelation chapter 6. And come back and you got to teach it. Now, I'm pretty sure they weren't very happy with me as the leader of the group at that particular moment. But I'm also pretty sure that we learned more than we would have if I just opened it up and said, well, I think this means this and this means this. I think we had a little bit of fun doing it together. And I have another surprise for him tonight, and I'm not going to mention it because some of them are sitting in here right now as we look at Revelation chapter 7. But in community with one another, so we're not just studying God's Word, we end up doing life together. We end up applying the Word of God. So am I committed to studying the Word of God by, my, by myself, but also with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Secondly, I think the question that I have to ask myself, not daily, but, but probably hourly, is this, am I submitted to the Holy Spirit of God? Am I saying to God, you lead and I will follow? That I'm not going to have you as my advisor, that I'm not going to have you kind of, you know, chime in every once in a while if I'm getting off track, but otherwise I have it. But I'm going to bend the knee, I'm going to bow before the Lord and say, you are Lord. And I want to make that intuitive decision on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis, in order that I don't get too far astray. And then thirdly, I think I must ask the question, how am I encouraging the faith of those folks around me? Is my life a life of singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs? Is my life the joy that I have in Christ being used by God to care for others who perhaps at this moment are struggling? Am I asking questions? Am I listening? Am I investing time? Am I being intentional 
to care for others in order to create an atmosphere where we can truly submit to one another because we long for, for hearing from one another about the grace and the glory that is ours in the Lord Jesus. I don't want to be cold trickle in days of thunder. I don't want to be, well, I saw it on ESPN. I, I think I got it. I want to dig in. I want to know the Lord Jesus. I want to know him deeply. I want us to know him deeply, and I think we do that through a passage like this, helping us understand that it calls us as individuals and it calls us collectively to do some self-evaluation and to always seek to be walking in this grace that we might be used by God to build one another up and strengthen each other as we follow him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that it goes beyond just our salvation to strengthening us in our faith, in our, in our life with you, in our walk with you, as Paul calls it. Well, Father, I pray for us as a congregation. Uh, I pray for us as we seek to look at our own lives through the lens of your word. Father, help us not to be afraid of that. We're going to see things we don't like. We're going to see things that aren't, that aren't what they ought to be, but you give us that in order to strengthen us in order to offer a loving correction, not to, to beat us over the head with it. And so, Lord, help us not to be afraid of the evaluation. And show us, Lord, where we're lacking. Show us where we're not loving one another well. Show us where we're not in your word as we should be. Again, not to, not to oppress us, but to set us free and, and, and to remind us the importance of caring for one another and sharing this grace that you have given us with one another. Lord, as we are strengthened, I am confident that as your spirit takes more and more control over our lives, that green tree will be that much more effective in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus with one another and with everyone around us. So Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit and your word. We pray in your name. Amen.